With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello, welcome back to the latest edition of the Selby is Godcast. I'm TJ Zuppi. He is Zach Meisel. We are both from the Athletic Cleveland. Of course, we cover the tribe. Zach, good to talk to you again. We've traded places officially. I'm out in Arizona where I have, I've planned this trip beautifully. It's the second day I'm out here. They're already having an off day. I mean, how much better <laughs> could I have planned this? Meanwhile, I'm uh, staring out at snow, and I, you know, I was hitting a wall. I thought I was ready to come home. You just hit the monotony of spring training at once you've been there long enough. I'm ready to come back. I miss sunshine. <laughs> I, I strolled outside. I figured it would be better to do it out in my in my car where I could open up the sunroof a little bit and I could sit out here in my shorts and t-shirt and, and just be able to, to really feel comfortable to do this podcast and not get bothered and, and you know, have anybody pop in mid podcast. Although it might be fun to have like the cleaning crew come in and do my hotel room in the middle of the podcast. That's always fun, right? You know, I had that happen at the winter meetings. I was uh, meeting with a member of the Indians uh, scouting department. And we met in his hotel room to do this talk because it was so loud in that hotel. And the cleaning crew came in and interrupted twice. And both times we had, you know, I'm recording something. He's in the middle of a really good answer and he has to get up, answer the door, tell them, come back later. It happened twice. So <laughs> that can happen. That's what makes this fun. If there, if there weren't things like that, happening at all times i mean this would be pretty boring this would not be a fun job i always like that there's something that could cause chaos right in the midst of what we're trying to accomplish yeah like me sitting in my car doing this podcast wearing snow pants and a parka (laughs) also your dog doesn't intervene in the podcast too um, as many times as he'd like to be a part of it i think you could bring in linus i can bring in ethan my cat often makes an appearance when I'm at home. So anytime we can bring special guests onto the podcast, I feel like we should do it. Yeah, I was doing a, I was doing a phone interview actually uh, late last week and I was transcribing it yesterday and it was like an hour long and you can just hear for at least 40 of the minutes, you hear my dog barking in the background. <laughs> and like, he was, he was downstairs in his crate and I'm upstairs in my office, which is like the corner of the house. It should be quiet door was closed and you could just still hear constant barking so that, that's why i go in my car and i put on uh earmuffs and gloves and long johns and just deal with cleveland just don't turn the car on while you're sitting in the garage with the door closed please ah, thanks for reminding me i don't want to have you just cut off mid podcast and, and not know what happened to you um, and we could probably go round and round with stories of random things that happened during phoner interviews. Just recently I did a, 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 an interview with Sirius XM fantasy sports radio in which I was called by a, a different name, at least seven times. 
but there's like some sort of radar that goes off. As soon as I pick up the phone and I need peace and quiet, it could be quiet in the house for seven straight hours. As soon as that happens, the animals are wild. The, the, my son is chasing the dog. It never fails. Never. I'm fails. sure it'll be even easier for you later this year. <laughs> yeah. Just add another kid to the mix. Why not? Let's just make this all sorts of chaos. Uh, well, Indians have made some interesting decisions, whether it's roster cuts and, and some additions to resumes that we'll get to. Uh, but I thought we'd start at least a little bit here talking about a, a team that's not the Indians, the, the Minnesota Twins. They've had a, an interesting offseason because – and I call it interesting because I think they brought in some interesting players, but I'm curious as to what you've thought, just kind of the way that the twins have gone about things and how, how close you think the gap is between the, the Indians and twins kind of figuring out now everything that Minnesota's done. I still don't, I can't identify anything they do better than the Indians. The rotation, I mean, Lynn and Odorizzi are nice pickups, especially given what it costs them. Um, but they were starting from so far behind in that arena anyway. Their, rota- their pitching staff has, has been really bad the last few years. Um, I think it's gotten better, and, and you see glimpses with uh, the young kid Barrios and, and Irvin Santana when healthy and when not suspended has been pretty good. But they just, they've had nothing at the back end of their rotation. I mean, it feels like the Indians beat up on Adalberto Mejia like seven times a year. Um, and they remember that the kid Adam Wilk who pitched in that doubleheader last year, who's now in the Indians clubhouse for some reason. And I think I probably shouldn't tell this story, but the, one of the coaches didn't know who Adam Wilk was earlier in spring and um, misidentified him. But that, that just goes to show you what the twins have been dealing with. So nice pickups there, but they still their starting pitching is not nearly as good as the Indians. The bullpen they added to Addison Reed is a nice pickup. Fernando Rodney's like seventy years old. I don't, I don't understand that one, and I think that even speaks to how desperate they were for bullpen help. I, they, they don't have anything resembling Cody Allen or Andrew Miller, and I think even the Indians' secondary guys are probably as good as the Twins' secondary guys. So then you look at the the lineups, and I think that's the one chance the Twins might have to like. Like, like their lineup has some nice young talent. If Byron Buxton takes the next step, um, Dozier has, has always been a nice threat at the top of the order. But we don't know what Miguel Sano's deal is going to be this year. Joe Maurer's older, and I still look at the Indians, and I see Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez in their primes, and Kipnis and Brantley maybe coming back, and Edwin Encarnacion is still there. I mean, it, it's it's – I don't – I like the direction the Twins are going. I like – the way in which they made their moves and how they didn't really give up much in terms of money or prospects. So they can, they can go hard if they want next winter. I just, I still don't see them as a legitimate threat unless a lot of shit goes wrong with the Indians. I I feel like it's a case where like several things can be true. I agree. I think the twins have had a nice off season. I think they made the best of a, I won't say a bad situation. I don't think it was a bad situation, but the best of a situation where you don't end up with a star coming mm. back in free agency. And they certainly set their sights high on you, Darvish, and, and wanted to play kind of in, in the, the deep end there for, for big-time free agents. They didn't end up getting any of, the, any of those guys. So they used that money on several different guys, which is smart, and you should do that considering the market where you have so many guys that are looking for jobs. We've talked about the middle class of free agency and, 
and how those guys have been impacted so greatly. And so the Twins went to play there where their money would spend better than a lot of other teams that weren't going to do anything or much of anything this offseason. And I think they capitalized. And they also didn't impact their future essentially at all. None of the, the money that they invested is going to impact them in the long run. And so it's, it's, a, it's smart, and I think it is opportunistic on, on their part. The other part of this that is true is that the gap was already so gigantic for a team that I already feel like probably played a little bit above their heads last year in the yep. twins. So what was it? A 17 game gap. I, I, I think they've, they've cut into that significantly. Is it closer to probably seven to 10 games between those two teams? Yeah. And when you're talking about a seven game gap, that's certainly within the realm of fluky shit can happen and things can get interesting really quickly. So I, and I've said this before, Many times about the Twins, I think that they are a dangerous team and that if you, if, if you don't take them seriously, they could come up and, and take one of those wild card spots. And I think they are a contender for another playoff spot. And I think they'll benefit from the same thing the Indians will benefit from, being able to beat up on three of the teams within the division. Sure. All of that is true. But still, there's, a, there's still at least a somewhat significant gap between these two teams. And the starting pitching is a big part of that. The bullpen is a part of that. And, and, and these moves could all pay off and all be pretty smart. And Logan Morrison could put together another, another season like he had last year. But I still feel like if all of those things happen, they, they would have to hope for some significantly unforeseen things uh, to take place on the Indian side of things, whether it's injuries in the rotation or guys just being completely uncharacteristically bad for this to really become a tight division race. So here's the fallacy that a lot of people fall into, and I think it's it's important to take a step back. We, we've talked about this, but a lot of people take October results, add the winter transactions, and think that, that like it's a linear formula. And like, okay, the Twins went from a crappy team to a wildcard team, and then they added pieces, so now the next logical step is... 90 wins and they look at the Indians and they say, okay, well they got knocked out in the first round. So we know they're not as good as the Yankees or the Astros. They lost a bunch over the off season. So next logical step is, I don't know, 90 wins and, and, and maybe they they're on the way down. Like it doesn't work like that. It's not linear at all. And you know, I, I wonder if the twins would have knocked off the Yankees and what were they up three, nothing in the first inning, if they would have beaten the Yankees in that wild card game, which is a coin flip. You know, how are how are people thinking about those two teams right now, the, the, the Indians and the Twins? Because I think we all agree the Indians would have beaten the Twins in the division series. Who knows what would have happened after that? But if that is the case, like if the Indians swept the Twins or beat them 3-1 to one in the division series, do people have a different viewpoint on this? Do they think that no matter what the Twins did this offseason, they wouldn't have been able to be in the same conversation as the Indians? I mean, I think a lot of what people fall into is just assuming that like like the Astros and the Yankees are on this pedestal because they variants went their way in October and and they outplayed the and the Yankees outplayed the Indians and the Astros outplayed the Yankees I mean it, it's it doesn't work like that so I, I think you need to it, it's hard to do but you have to try to block out last season and just kind of go in with with just a refreshed mind when you are making these these projections and, and that's why you look at whatever Pakota says or, or um, 
or, or the other projection systems, and it's like, yeah, the Indians are still projected to win the division by like ten or eleven games, and that shouldn't shock you. No, I, I don't. I don't think so either. And if things were linear, then the Indians coming off a of postseason where they had two and a half starters and added Edwin Encarnacion and a healthy Carlos Carrasco for the the postseason, and all those things should have what led to a World Series title, right? If you reach the World Series in 2016. Uh, lacking some of those things and you make your club better, then then you should go out and win the World Series. It didn't end up working that way. Um, that's and, and this is why it's so important. And, it's, and it is difficult, too, because baseball is really two different things. One, it's this long, grueling marathon where depth is so important and you've got to be able to outlast and outwit your, your, your competition. And it, Before it's a, the tribe has spoken. Um, and, and, and this is a a, a war of attrition constantly. And then you get into the postseason and it's all happening real fast. And guys that, that are, that are having big series or star power wins those games. And it's the complete, it's a completely different game, uh, or decided in a completely different manner than, than the actual regular season is. And I still think the Indians are, are built to have success in, in both cases. Do you agree? I mean, what what have we seen? Even though they've lost some, I don't see anything there that has drastically changed my mind on whether or not the Indians can go win the World Series this year. The reason they lost the division series was because of three individuals. And there were other things that went into this too, but Corey Kluber didn't pitch like Corey Kluber, and Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor didn't hit like Jose Ramirez and Francisco Lindor had the previous 162 games. So it's it's the postseason. You still need stars. You need people to rise to the occasion, but you need that, that if if you have that starting pitching like Kluber and Carrasco and whether it's Bauer or Clevenger or Salazar whoever will be there in October, that still is is your meal ticket and and then you need guys to produce. I mean, I mean it, it's yeah the Indians are absolutely built for this. We don't know what the Twins are built for yet, but I think if you really believe that the Twins have closed a 17 game gap or that they are, I mean, I give them credit. Like they should have a nice season. They should have a lot of things going for them, especially given the division in which they play. But if if you can find me what they do better than the Indians, then you're probably falling into the trap of looking at October, taking what happened in November, December, January, February, I guess early March, and and ignoring how this actually works. Now, in fairness. This is also – this conversation feels a little bit like the whole nobody believed in us where you're creating a false yeah. narrative. I don't think, Zach, that anyone is realistically believing that the Twins, even with a solid offseason, are, are legitimate competition where they're going to be there probably in those last – you know that, those last few series are going to decide things. Probably not. And I don't think most people believe that. But I also believe that the Twins are very capable of making the postseason again this year. And sure. I, I, I think it would be more shocking than not if they weren't right there in the thick of the wild card race right to the end. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying the Indians are going to win by 20 games and this is nothing to sweat. Like, baseball's weird. Injuries happen. Regression happens. Um, inexplicable things happen. And it's certainly possible the Indians don't win the division or they have a crappy year. But I, I'm just saying everything should still point to – the Indians being the Titans of the division and then the twins still lacking in some areas that, that should expose themselves over the course of six months. Um, but 
You're right. I mean, the tough thing is that the American League is loaded. I mean, you look at the Astros, Yankees, and Indians, and then the Red Sox now with J.D. Martinez should still be a threat. I mean, they won that division last year. Let's remember the Yankees were the wild card team. You got the Angels who made a bunch of additions, um, and and then the Twins, and I don't know, if, like the Mariners always claim to be contending, but always finish. <laughs> seventy-eight wins. <laughs> Just pencil it in right now. Seventy-eight why wins. Why doesn't Jeff Fisher should coach them? Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, would he be a better football coach or baseball coach at this point? That's a great question. <laughs> but, but you're right. I mean, the one thing that gives the Twins an advantage that those other teams don't have is that they do play in the Central. And mm. and you should be able to beat up on, on 60% of your – or 75% of your interdivision matchups. I thought it was really interesting yesterday when we were talking about Francisco Mejia, who got optioned to AAA, which is not surprising. We all expected he was not going to start the year on the, the major league roster and, and – We've talked about endlessly that it's going to be difficult to create spots for him if you're only focused on catching and maybe DHing some. Now, we know he tried him at third base, and Tito even said yesterday that from the, from the outset of them making that decision, he wasn't too keen on it, didn't seem really excited about it. They never really thought that he was so gung-ho about playing third base, and that's fair because they're asking him to play a completely different position, and he's been preparing as a catcher. Uh, for quite a while here in the system. And they're very pleased with the, the progress that he's made behind the plate. But they've also seen him go out during batting practice and shag fly balls. And, and they know he has a killer arm that would probably be absolutely suited for right field. And they're going to go let him play some outfield in minor league camp and get acclimated to that. And it's not something that is going to be a full full switch. It's It's not going to be him going away from catcher completely. But they're just looking to expand some of that toolbox for him to, to still con- continue to find ways to get his bat in the major league lineup. And I think it said uh, something pretty hefty about their belief in him as an offensive player, what he could be. Because I don't think they would be trying this many different things with him. Uh, for a top prospect, and we've often seen they handle these guys with kid gloves. They do not want them bouncing around, and they're not – they're not going to ask them to do something that they think is going to hurt their development in any way, shape, or form. They're not doing all of this and trying to find at-bats for him somehow to get to the major league level if they don't think that he's going to be, uh, I don't know, an elite performer, but a really, really good offensive player. I'm surprised it took this long. Um, yeah, I, that, I am too. I am too. If you look at the landscape of the outfield, Lonnie Chisholm in his contract year. He's, he's gone at the end of the year, I think. Michael Brantley, this is his last year under team control. You would think he'd be gone too unless they strike some agreement. I don't know. Um, there are going to be openings in the outfield. And you have Roberto Perez and Jan Gomes under contract for a while. And not only that, but you have Eric Haas at AAA who is doesn't have the strongest arm, but they like what he brings in terms of, of pitch calling and, and – working with the pitching staff. And so he seems like he's tailor-made for that backup catcher role at some point. Um, so I'm not saying Mejia's days as a catcher are done, but if you look around and you're trying to, you know, if, if they value catcher defense, especially with this pitching staff. I mean, if you, if you were to ask Kluber to all of a sudden just work with Mejia every day after he spent years and years getting to know Jan Gomes and working with him. And then once Roberto Perez took over the reins, that was a process with those two as well. I mean, this pitching staff has been in place for so long that 
they really prioritize catcher defense. And so that's why people say, oh, well, why don't you just stick him at catcher since Gomes and Perez hit 190? And it's it's not that simple, and that's not necessarily the best makeup of your team. And so Mejia was – look, he was never going to come up before June anyway because they, they weren't going to start that service clock earlier than they had to. So I think this buys them time because you have – you know, if it's mid-June and you have an injury to Gomes or Perez, then he is the obvious candidate to come up. If it's mid-June and you have Brantley is re-injured and you have a hole in the outfield, maybe you try Mejia in, the, in, that, in that role. So this gives them options, and it, it gives them even more options a year from now, depending on how he takes to that outfield experiment. And, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting because they – Terry Francona is so careful not to say anything degrading about his players. And um, they've said all the right things about Mejia's defense. And I know he has worked incredibly hard on his communication skills, learning English. We'll have more on that in the Thursday conversation this week on the athletic. Um, And he wants to be able to communicate with pitchers and have that strong rapport so that his defense behind the plate can get better. And he's got a really strong arm. So, like, all, he's got all the intangibles. And I think it's just – it's got to be a little frustrating for the Indians just because there is no easy, obvious answer here. Um, because you'd love for him to eventually be your catcher, but you can't, like ex- – they don't have the luxury of experimenting at the big league level right now. Right. And when you're we're talking about someone that has the offensive profile that he projects to have, you certainly want to try to get him behind the plate if you can, because if, if he can play back there and he's got the strong arm to control the running game. And if he's, if the pitches are comfortable enough working for him, that is a huge advantage you have over almost every other catcher in baseball. Cause you're talking about a position that was like 11% below league average offensively last year. And if you get him even at league average, now you have an 11% advantage over everybody offensively at that position. So of of course that's first and foremost with him. And I understand why they're going to continue to try to get him behind the plate just because of that advantage. And Jose Ramirez, Jose Ramirez has said, he is the best hitter on the roster. And that's, that's your MVP finalist saying that. So uh, he, he, and he's hit the ball really well this spring. I mean, he, he looks just like, I know he's tiny, but like, the way he swings, it seems so effortless. Like he could mm-hmm. hit 300 at the major league level. Well, you and you you can tell, and I'm sure you you saw it too. He's bulked up a little bit too. He looks yeah. a little bulkier than what he did last September, um, and and he's not a, a big guy, and and maybe that can fool some people. But I think he's probably got a little bit of, of sneaky athleticism enough that they're willing to try this in the outfield. And you know, we've we've written it a couple times at the Athletic. Chances in the outfield aren't what they used to be. You don't see quite as many as you did in the corners. And with all the strikeouts and home runs, fewer balls in play, you can get away with a guy that's out there that maybe is an elite defender or even an average defender if the advantage they create offensively is, is worth it. Because it's kind of a give and take here. Um, you know, does the percentage that he gives you offensively outweigh what he might take away defensively? And the other part of this, too, is, Zach, we don't know what he's going to be defensively. He could be a train wreck out there or he could be OK. You know, they threw. Carlos Santana out there in the World Series, uh, nothing bad happened, which is a miracle in itself. And then he went out to play even more outfield in his career when they played in the National League. Um, you know, sometimes we maybe we we put way too much into what a guy can do in the outfield. If he can just get the balls that he's supposed to get to and catch them, and 
and, and not do anything drastically horrible and occasionally maybe keep a runner at, at first base from keeping going, going to second with his arm or throwing a guy out or, or causing a guy to at least hesitate for a half second because he's got a strong arm, then, then maybe you would kind of make up the difference that way. But the biggest thing is with this is if he's – the biggest determining factor is, is he going to hit the way that they think he is? And if he does, and if he goes down to AAA and just starts mashing, there's going to be a point, Zach, where they're going to say, we can't hold him down anymore, especially if anybody is struggling at all, or as you said, injured at the major league level, or they can't find anybody to hit left-handed pitching because they're so left-handed heavy right now. They're Just having this opportunity to maybe throw him in the outfield once or, or twice a week if they need to, and then maybe DH him and then throw him behind the plate, if they're creative enough, hell, he could play four or five times a week. And this, we can tie this back to our first topic because people spend so much time fixating on the losses of Joe Smith and Brian Shaw and Jay Bruce. The Jay Bruce one, like, I, that one. The other, like, I, I get the relievers. They haven't really done much to address the bullpen. But, like, people are still upset that they lost Jay Bruce, who signed. If You know, if the Mets didn't offer Jay Bruce $39 million, Jay Bruce might still be out there. Like, who knows? Anyway, um... And we don't focus on the fact that there's this 22-year-old stud hitter who, if they can find him a position, could absolutely contribute in the second half and and be an essential part of this lineup. We don't we don't consider Yandy Diaz and the strides he might take uh, with with a full season under his belt and what he might be able to do with some regular playing time if they can find a spot for him. I mean, it, it's. There are still pieces here that have untapped potential, and I, I kind of think that gets thrown by the wayside. That's an excellent transition to a guy that hit his first home run of the spring yesterday, Bradley Zimmer, and he crushed it to a little bit to the left of center field. You know where the batter's eye is in center field, and it's got that huge wall out there. He hit it just to the left of it where the batter's eye is still a little bit higher than the wall, but it was an absolute crush job. I mean, he, he smashed it. And – Sometimes you, I think we kind of forget that, you know, what we saw last year with him isn't necessarily, you know, what he, what he is going to be over the, the length of his career. You know, I, I think we, we probably get too caught up in seeing a prospect for the first time and the shine kind of comes off of him. And we just, we, we just come to, to think that what he was in that first glimpse that we saw might be what he is. And, and it could ultimately be that, Zimmer is never going to grow into being a, a plus offensive guy or someone that's much better than league average. And maybe he just brings value and speed and defense and that's valuable in itself. But there are times where he does something where I go, you know, this guy's got the capability of, of being much better than just your average two win player because he's kind of speedy and can play center field pretty good. He's got some untapped power in there. And I, and I think that I think we might see s- some more of that growth this year. And if that's the case, and especially if he grows into being more of an everyday type of guy in this lineup, then that would provide a pretty hefty boost too that we're probably not even thinking about right now. Yeah, he's always going to have that strikeout. He's always going to be prone to strikeouts. He's like a praying mantis. I mean, he's like six foot thirteen. He's skinny. He's absolutely ripped. He kind of looks like Bert from Sesame Street, and he's just got a ton of potential all around. I mean, how many times last season did we just? our jaws were on the floor because of a catch he made in center field rushing back and diving toward the wall. I mean, it's, it's, it's incredible 
defensively the difference he made, um, especially after we all sat through Tyler Naquin at that position the year before. But and, and on the basis, too. And so, like, if you only get those two elements, I think you're happy, you're satisfied, because he's going to be hitting probably ninth. He's going to be hitting near the bottom of the order, at least, and in the bottom third. And so if you got the, the speed element, the, the ability to steal 30 bases easily, and you get the, the defense, you'd be happy with that. But there is power. He's hit for power in the minors. He's got that long swing. I mean, he's he's jacked. He's very muscular. So, like, if he gets a hold of a fastball or a hanging breaking ball, he's he's definitely got the ability to hit it out. But it's it's going to be a matter of consistency because we saw him come up last year and he held his own at the plate for a while. And then he went into that, I think it was 0 for 37 slump. Um, and that happens. Rookies, they get into funks. Pitchers adjust. They figure out the weaknesses. And sometimes it takes a while for, for a first-year guy to, to get back on track. So it's going to be he's, – he's going to be fascinating to watch. You're right. He's another one of those guys where we don't we, – we just assume players stay at their same production level from one year to the next. We don't think, oh, maybe Bradley Zimmer will actually, you know, turn into a three- or four-war player. Um, and, and I think it's, it's silly to overlook things like that. Now, you might not. You might strike out 200 times. You might struggle to hit 200 and – only hit 10 home runs but I think I think just based on what he did in the minor leagues and and what he's exhibited at times at the big leagues he's got a lot of potential I mean there's a reason he was a first round pick even from a a smaller school yeah I I don't I don't know if he's going to develop into a a star or the best player on the team or challenge Lindor for that or any of that sort of thing and I think the speed and defense kind of keeps the floor higher than for most which is fine because like I said Speed and defense, if you're at least giving you if, – if they're getting that from him where he's running the bases like he did last year, stealing them and, and playing that defense, he's going to add a little bit above uh, league average value, and that's fine. To get that out of center field, I mean, you talked about the Naquin experiment a couple of years ago. They had some of the worst defensive center field play in baseball, and just having a guy out there that can go get him, especially if – you know, you're starting to run your catchers out to the outfield. Having a guy with some some range out there might help as well. But I, I think we're – I think anybody that just assumes that we've seen the best of Bradley Zimmer uh, in his first go-around in the major leagues is probably selling him a little bit short. I, I think there's some room for adjustments. And he's still – he was, what, two years into his swing change. He's still getting comfortable with that. Sure. Um, getting comfortable with being a major leaguer. I mean, just looking at him now, he looks a lot more confident just in his place and his body and knowing where he needs to be. And maybe we'll even talk about that enough, just someone being comfortable in their surroundings and how much that can mean. I mean, even you look at guys that were around last year in September. Uh, Mejia is one of them. Greg Allen's another one. You, you look at what they look like last spring, very timid. You know, they were minor leaguers in a big league clubhouse. They didn't look like they necessarily belonged. This year, you see Greg Allen. He's chatting, laughing, having fun. Mejia, same way, in there doing his, his work and going about his swings in the cages and doing all the things that he needs to do. They just look comfortable because they've been in this situation before. And I think it's probably a, a similar thing with Zimmer, where just because he's kind of been through this and knows what to expect, um, that might not not add a gigantic boost, but I think it certainly will help him. That yeah, I mean, that that applies to all of life. I mean, the first time you went down to Arizona for spring training, did you have any idea what you were doing? <laughs> no, but in fairness, I didn't have any idea what I was doing yesterday because they changed the whole friggin' complex. 
So now I don't even know where the locker room's at. I don't know where the coaches are. You can't see anybody anymore. That was one of my favorite things is just hanging out in the hallway because it was Grand Central Station. And if you needed a coach, if you wanted to kind of hang out and see if a player was getting talked to in the office, you could see all that. Now, nope, they took all that away from us. Yeah, it's awkward. You have to request a coach now. And so I, I got Carl Willis for a Thursday conversation earlier this month. And he like he took me back to the coach's room and then it was awkward because there were other coaches in there working. <laughs> like, can't we just do this in the hallway like we used to? I miss those <laughs> I know. It was, everything was so much better in the past. And I'm, I'm happy now, Zach, that we can officially join that crew where we can say everything was better back in the past. Um, one final thing for me that I wanted to touch on this week, um, and it is the final spot in the bullpen. I was just chatting yesterday with, with George Bastian about this, and we we're, we're trying to just put together, you know, kind of who who is the favorite, what's the depth chart there, who is running away with that job. And, and we could not come to any sort of consensus on this. You know, we'd say, okay, well, it's probably Belial because he's got the track record and he had the excellent second half. Then you'd look at the stats and say, yeah, but Alexia Gondo has struck out 11 guys in like six innings, and he's been really, really good. And, Hey, what about Torres? Torres hasn't been that bad. And then you start going through some of the minor leaguers that aren't having a bad camp. And I am no closer to finding an answer about the bullpen than I was when I started this whole thing. But do we know if, is there even a spot? Like if they want to keep Ryan Merritt, isn't that it? It could be. I mean, Danny Salazar would, would answer some of that too. If he starts on the, the disabled list and he's getting closer to the point where he's going to take a take the mound at some point he's going still going through long toss but i i don't know i i, I don't know <laughs> i i can't handicap that spot at all i have no feel whatsoever and the only thing that i think that you can feel comfortable in is you know once we've spent enough time around tito to kind of learn his mannerisms and, and understand when he says something what he's truly saying and yesterday we asked about agondo and he called him an interesting guy and every time he's ever assign somebody being interesting and that was the the pretty much the the depth of the quote was to call him interesting i think it means just that he's interesting but probably not a, the best fit for this roster and he dropped that you know they're not they're not sure if he's a starter or if he's a reliever well i mean you wouldn't you know that if he's in a, <laughs> in, in a competition for that bullpen spot so i i, I I guess I feel like he's probably a little bit further down the depth chart than some of those other veteran guys, but God, Zach, I mean, shed some light on this for me. I think these are the, these are the criteria you look at one who would be willing to go to AAA. If there are people willing to go to the minors, honestly, that probably docks them because it's, it's April and relievers are so random that you don't, the odds of whoever they pick actually making it through the, are you going to get that? <laughs> through the entire season are, are small. So if, if you start with one, you know, let, let's say you start with Belial and he fizzles out by May, you can dig to triple and, and pick someone, but Belial might, he's probably not going to go to triple a. So if you don't go with Belial right off the bat, you'd already be losing a guy. So I think, I think that plays into it. And there are certain guys in camp who are probably, I mean, you mentioned like the veterans, like Belial, Torres, Ogando, there are guys Evan Marshall, Jeff Beliveau, um, I think there's a couple others who, I, I, they maybe they're willing to go to AAA, maybe not, but but those are, I, I think they're more realistic in knowing that you go to AAA because you're not going to get a major league job elsewhere. 
Belial might think differently. I don't know. But so that's one thing. The other criteria is you, you forget about the stats, but it, it's is a guy hitting the velocity he should? Is he commanding his pitch as well? Um, that that's the main thing. I mean, you can you can look at a reliever in spring training and see that he threw seven innings and three of them were against major league competition and two of them were so early and he was only working on fastball command. Like, like your sample size is going to be tiny no matter what. So I think they get just as much um, information when they're throwing these side sessions on a backfield and they've got the track man set up and they can just analyze the velocity and, and the mechanics and everything. And just to see if what they're doing on the mound is, is what they want them to be doing in April and May. Um, so I think those are those are the main criteria, and obviously like health and, and roster construction come into this too. But uh, it's 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 going to be interesting. It's why, like I think, especially for a competition that has this many candidates, and none of them are obvious. Like in past years, it's been sometimes it's kind of obvious to tell who's who's going to make it. Some of these non-roster guys. This is not that. I mean, there's, they could tell us tomorrow that it's like. I don't know someone who's completely like Robert Zarata. He got, he got sent down. Right. But like, if they would have said it was him, I would have been like, okay, like the, whatever. I don't know him from Bellavo or anything like that. Uh, they must see something they like. Like it, it's, we have no idea. And we probably won't know until the official decision comes down. I just can't see them no matter what they do. I can't see them signing off on giving away starting pitching depth in Ryan Merritt. I can't but, see it as, but, as much as, as much as it maybe just doesn't make sense, I just can't see a scenario where they want to give that away. Yeah, and, and give it away for, again, a, a lottery ticket. Like, you're really going to just DFA merit so that Carlos Torres can make the team and then Tar- Carlos Torres might not be on the team come, like, May 15th? I mean, it's it seems silly. So, yeah, I, I, I think merit makes the team, and I think it boils down to whether or not they want eight relievers, which sounds silly considering they have four off days in the first three weeks of the season. So I I don't, I don't know, but like, they're also pretty upfront with these guys. So, and people kept wanting to come here. So I I don't don't know. It's a little strange. (laughs) Something about this situation clearly stands out for these guys. And and maybe it's just that communication or, or maybe it could be like we talked about with, with Napoli players respect, that the organization is willing to go the extra mile, uh, whether it's helping them find a job, which they've done in the past and, and probably will continue to do in the future, or just being honest with where they stand with the organization. Um, and speaking of Napoli, by the way, I thought this was funny. Um, you know, he's, he's obviously somebody that many people have already kind of positioned as a player coach. And I've been asked if he could fill a, a Giambi role for this team. And, and if they could carry a 26 guy to just be Giambi, if there was that spot in the majors, there's no question it would be be Napoli for sure. But just to, to show how highly regarded he is by the coaching staff, yesterday I'm watching him. He goes out and he carries the lineup card out to the umpires. That's the, that's what the, the coaches do. Or you see uh, Barney go out there. The replay coordinator goes out there with the lineup card. That, that's what the coaches do. And Napoli took it out yesterday when they played the Rangers and he's out there shaking the umpire's hand. Then he comes back in and sits in the dugout and he sits two seats down from Tito on the coach's side of the bench. It's like this guy is just being groomed. (laughs) Obviously uh, his playing career is winding down. And and if he doesn't end up with a job, I would not be shocked whatsoever if he's around this organization in the future. And 
they somehow find an, uh, you know, cause they're, they're wants to find coaching jobs, even though they don't have titles for them, that they, they try to keep them around in some way, shape or form. Yeah. I mean, Carl Spierga still shows up every five minutes somewhere or other. Um, I, yeah, Napoli, like he has 2019 spring training instructor written all over him. Yeah. I, I don't know how, I, I, I don't see how he would find another job at this point. I think it's going to be tough and, it was also kind of tough to watch him be playing in the ninth inning of a game uh, in the mid part of March with guys with no names on the back of their jerseys in the lineup. And he's over there playing first base, knowing just how much he meant to this organization two short years ago. But clearly, clearly the coaching staff and Tito at, at the head of that uh, really value having him around if they're asking him to sit down with the coaches and he's basically helping them. I don't know this for a fact, but look, he's down there looking like he's helping them manage the game. Yeah. I mean, it's, we've talked about it. I mean, it's, he provides value, just his presence. And I'm sure the time he spent with Bobby Bradley is is paid off for Bobby Bradley and and pays off for everybody. And so it's harmless having him. And and the fact that he is spending time with the coaches kind of speaks to what his future may entail. And, and also just how, how good he, the Indians think he can be in, in that sort of role down the line. And then there's Rajay who, man, it feels like he's destined to get a spot on this roster. Yeah. Even, even if he's not the best fit for that role yesterday, anytime, you know, this anytime Raj gets brought up, Tito starts glowing and, and talking endlessly about him. And even after the game yesterday asked about Raj and he's glowing about the, the presence that he brings and the speed element that he brings. So I don't know. It, it seems like he has a, a pretty legitimate shot to make this roster, but we'll find out in the coming weeks. Uh, but I, I do enjoy this time of year because it's not the, the grueling grind that the regular season is. And it's a lot more fun. Yesterday, Trevor Bauer was in a rare mood once again. And you could tell right off the bat, he's feeling good because the first question was, how did you feel today? Mm. And he ripped Andre not up and down for that jokingly, of course, but uh, was in very good spirits yesterday. And he's even ripping on his himself and his fastball. He called the worst in baseball, which in fairness to Trevor ranked 17th worst in baseball last year, according to fan graphs. So give yourself a little credit, Trevor, but it is fun. I think spring training is, and I, and I, I hope a lot of fans get to come down and, and or come over, I guess, and experience it at some point because it's just such a different animal, and and even we get to cover it a little bit differently than than during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think everybody, I don't think all media outlets realize the value in spring training, and and you don't need to go down there for every day of the seven week grind and. You know, right? Nope. Every single note. We don't need a Danny Salazar, Michael Brantley injury update every five minutes. But it, it's it's the atmosphere is so conducive to building relationships and getting to know players, some who might not make the roster, but you, who might be there later on. Um, and others who you're going to see every day for the, the next six months anyway. And it's just it's when players are most relaxed. It's when they're most willing to talk. It's when they have the most free time. And it's when you can get some of the best material and, and really get a good grasp for how players think. I mean, the, the interview we had with Trevor Bauer was mm-hmm. that, that helped continue to just completely change my mind on him and gave me better perspective of his perspective. And, and that stuff, 
yeah, maybe once or twice during a season that you can get Bauer in that sort of element, but not it's very hard to do it the way the way that spring training allows you to and that's why like i know no one wants to read game recaps of of a spring training game whether it was on tv or it wasn't uh, it's who cares but we can we're able to give you kind of a and behind the scenes look of how every player stands as as we move toward the season what they've been going through what they've been doing differently how they measure up as the season begins and, and kind of how the organizational philosophy um, has the Indians set up to, to succeed in, in 2018 and beyond. And it's, it's stuff that you don't get when you're just, you know, you, you drop in for a minute at spring training and, and you can tell with the players, we've talked about this too, where, you know, when, when you come, when you, you make a four day trip to Arizona and you pop in, you, you have to, you're like trying to, cover the rest of the time where you're not going to be there so you ask the most basic questions to every player you can and they've already heard those questions a million times so they kind of get annoyed and you can tell like there there's so much value in just being there and um we're both grateful that we've had the opportunity to spend a lot of time in in arizona this year and um i think our coverage kind of speaks for itself in that regard and you'll be back out here soon enough so you won't have to put up with the snow for too much longer it stopped the snow stopped during the podcast well, you can thank me for that, transferring some of the, the the good weather. Although there's like a cloud over my head right now, and I don't I don't know what is going on, but I'm gonna need that to go ahead and leave before the end of the day. This is this is an off day here. I'm here to relax. Can I? I don't need you, clouds over my head. You know, I spent almost three weeks in Arizona at the start, and the warmest day, I think my last day there, it was 72. Other than that, it was like 55 to 65 every day. Now, well, my car listeners in Cleveland are rolling their eyes. I get it. I get it. But TJ gets to do – he gets the 75 to 80-degree weather. Very fair. Yeah. I, I'm looking at my car right now where it says it is 90 degrees outside. 90. That's too hot. <laughs> uh, please. I, I like it comfortable. Just like my air conditioning. I was in too good of shape. That's, that's where we'll leave it. You can subscribe to the podcast. Of course, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, we've now switched over to Anchor, and hopefully that goes better than the, the Bumpers experiment did. Bumpers has died. That was our. That's how we've recorded podcasts in the past. So we're trying out a new podcasting system. So hopefully, fingers crossed, this ends up getting posted and people actually get to hear it. Uh, but we'll be available on other formats as well. But if you've already subscribed to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, nothing has changed. They're still going to pop up on your phone. So you won't miss a second uh, because even my brother was texting me earlier today. Hey, where's the new Selby's Godcast? It's Tuesday, dude. This is what I listen to when I work out. I need my fix. So even if there's one person out there listening diligently, I got to get this, get this up and running and make sure it's good for him. Yeah, I don't know anyone else who listens. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't know if it, the numbers could just be my brother hitting play 1,000 times. I'm not exactly sure. Do you have any parting words for our listeners this week, Zach? Uh, we're, what, two weeks out from opening day. It's, jeez, uh, it's, it's coming soon. Um, this is my favorite time of year. I love March Madness. The Thursday, Friday of this week are my two favorite days of the year. And I like the way that the tournament kind of just feeds into baseball season, especially this year. Um, 
it's going to make, geez, it's going to make the next few weeks go real quick. And before we know it, we're going to be in the, the middle of the, the grind um, and not come up for air until at some point in October. So that's going to be, uh, it's here, TJ. Are you ready? Just just enjoy the last few days that we have where if somebody gives up a home run, it's not the end of the world because once once this starts for real, every moment is going to feel like the biggest moment ever, even though I can't tell you what happened on May 17th of last year and how it impacted the season, but you better believe when we get to May 17th this year, that's going to be the biggest deciding factor of anything. It's the calm before the Twitter storm. All right. Have a good week, everybody. We're out of here. See ya.